here at Hamilton Road, we're learning to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. So we want our commitment to Jesus to shape everything that we say and everything that we do. So we've spent the last few Sunday mornings looking at one crucial part of life uh, to see how we could honor Jesus in relation to family. I want to remind you very quickly of the ground that we've covered in the last three weeks. In the first week, uh, we were confronted by Jesus teaching that his disciples, uh, the, the family of God, is to be our first family. Although Jesus constantly supported the biological family, at the same time, he displaced it from the very center of human existence. For his family, for his disciples, whether we have family or not, all of life is to be lived together in the family of God. In the second week, we noticed the implications of this for single people. We recognized the heartache that often goes with being single. But we noticed that Jesus himself was a single man. We noticed that he and the Apostle Paul both agreed that singleness is in some cases better than marriage for those who wish to serve in the kingdom of God. So we determined as a church family to be a community that honors and includes single people. Last week, we thought about marriage in a culture that increasingly sees marriage as contractual rather than covenantal. All disciples of Jesus Christ are growing in faithfulness. We're becoming more like our faithful God. As we become more like him, the, the, the spirit of God grows the fruit of fruit, faithfulness in us. So marriage then becomes just one more place, one more place where we get to express the faithfulness that God is growing in us. This morning, we're going to look at one last aspect of family. Uh, we're going to think about where our families tend to be located, and that is we're going to think about our homes. So whether we're single or married, whether we're children, parents, or grandparents, each one of us has a home, a place where we belong. You'll maybe know the, the old saying that for an Englishman, his home is his castle. I'm sure you'd agree that you could say the same about Irishmen and women and people of other races too. Home, that's the place that we retreat to at the end of the day and draw up the drawbridge. It's a place of safety and security. It's a place where we come out of the public square and enjoy some privacy. We've become so used to thinking of home in those terms, thinking of it as a private space, that we really can't imagine it any other way. But it takes only a cursory glance through history to see that it hasn't always been so. Up until the Industrial Revolution, pretty much the entire population of the world lived with a completely different understanding of home. So in Bible times, for instance, neither Hebrew society nor the Roman society made a stark distinction between private and public life, the same distinction that we make today. So herds were kept in your home, business was transacted in our homes, Households were bustling with merchants selling their wares. Poets and philosophers would pass through our homes 
and depend on the heads of the household for their livelihood. So homes were not solely private, but they were also public places. And it's, it's interesting that it's in this kind of a context, this kind of a domestic context, that the early church flourished. The Christians of the New Testament worshipped together in their homes. They welcomed and supported missionaries in their homes. They evangelized in their homes. They helped the poor in their homes. And they stood up to the false claims of Caesar, all in their homes. So the Christian home in the first century was an exciting and a dynamic place of worship, community, and mission. Now, I'm not suggesting that we somehow slavishly try to go back to a New Testament household from 21st century Bangor, far from it. I'm simply making the point that the way in which we have come to think about home uh, as a preserve for our isolated, privatized nuclear family isn't the only way to think about home. It's not the way things have always been, and it's certainly not what the Bible teaches. We've already learned in our first week in this series that our biological family is not the family of God. This morning we're going to see that our privatized family is not the family of God. We'll come to God's word in a moment, but I want to run with this for a second before we do. If you've been here this last couple of years and you've understood some of the themes of my ministry, one of the ones you might recognize is that I try to challenge what I call the sacred-secular divide. The sacred-secular divide is a, a fault line that runs through the human heart. And while we, we still believe in the sacred-secular divide, we imagine that God is only interested in some parts of my life, the sacred stuff, church and missionaries and Sundays, but that he doesn't really care about the other stuff, uh, my staff room, my neighborhood, my daily occupation, my Monday. Over these last couple of years, we've been trying to, to break down these walls, trying to, to bridge that divide, and we've recognized that God's with us every bit as much on a Monday as he has been on a Sunday. In our office politics, every bit as much as our time in church, there is no sacred-secular divide. All of life is God's, and all of it must be lived for his glory. If I thought we were making some progress in overcoming the sacred-secular divide, I'd be delighted. But I wouldn't want to stop there. You see, there's another debilitating divide that we need to think about. Another flawed way of thinking that prevents us from becoming fully faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And it's particularly relevant today to this subject of home. I'll call it the, the public-private divide. You see, as well as dividing the world into sacred and secular, we're inclined to split the world into public and private. And when we do that, the next step is usually to shrink the world in which Jesus is Lord into just our private world. Ourselves and our nuclear families tucked away in our homes. We say, Jesus is Lord of my life. 
and we've gone to make our life with God into a small privatized affair. Friends, it's, it's a brilliant thing for any one of us to be able to say that Jesus is Lord of my life, but it's best if I understand that my life, that he's Lord of my life, not because I've invited him into my heart, but because I've stepped into his world. He's Lord of the whole world. Of course he's Lord of my life. He's, he's Lord of my workplace, my street, my neighborhood, our city, our country, the, the whole world. So Christianity's never a private affair. It can't be. Now, <clears throat> when we begin to really understand this, it's going to change the way we think about our homes. Suddenly our home is no longer our castle, the place we retreat to when our day's work is done. Our homes aren't private havens or retreats. They're hubs of community. They're mission bases from which we reach the world for Christ. The key ministry for the Christian home is hospitality. It's the most wonderful ministry in the world. It's when we open our homes and our lives, when we share food and drink, time and energy with one another, and we celebrate the gift that God has given us in each other. I saw it again on Wednesday night. We had our discipleship group around with us for a takeaway night, and we had the best crack. The Bible calls us, I don't know if you know this, it calls us often to hospitality. We saw it in our two Bible readings we read a moment ago. <clears throat> so the writer to the Hebrews, he encourages believers, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. It seems like a weird thing that he said. Unless you know the story that the writer is evoking. He's thinking of Genesis 18, where we read of Abram displaying a humble and a generous hospitality to three strangers. Abram's a very wealthy man by this stage and, and probably quite old. So he could easily have snapped his fingers, called a few of his servants and had them look after his guests. But that's not what we read in Genesis 18. Abram himself washes their feet. He bakes bread. He prepares the fatted calf. All for his guests. It's not until later we realize who Abram's been entertaining. It's the Lord himself with two angels. In another lovely story in the Old Testament, we read of folks like the, the widow of Zarephath. She showed hospitality to Elijah. She didn't have very much. But what she did, she shared. And it's a reminder that hospitality doesn't have to be grand. It can be simple and sincere. Many of us have been studying the book of Romans together. Paul's letter contains, as we have realized, lots of rich theology, some of it that's very difficult for us to understand. But Romans doesn't leave it with just theology. After explaining the gospel at great length, Paul invites the believers in Rome to live it out. Turn with me again, chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. He talks to the believers in Rome about this, this life that the gospel calls them to. 
those opening verses of chapter 12. Sorry, beginning at verse 9, that section. Paul invites them to love one another, honor one another, share with one another. And then verse 13, as though to summarize this little bit of teaching about how we relate to one another in the family of God, he says, practice hospitality. There it is. It's the icing on the cake. This is how you love, honor, and share with one another. Share your lives together. Make your homes to be hubs of community, centers of discipleship, bases for mission. In Romans 15, verse 7, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I don't expect you to remember everything that we say in our sermons here, but this might trigger something for you. A few months ago, I was here preaching about the qualifications for eldership as we set about electing new elders in our, our church family. I was uh, preaching on that occasion from Paul's letter to Titus, but there's a, a teaching that he repeats also in his letter to Timothy, and it's this. Paul says that an elder must be hospitable. Paul's logic's clear. If we're calling people to lives where they, they love one another in the family of God, then the leader must be leading the way. We could say much more uh, about that, but let's just say for now that the Bible is full of examples of God's people showing and being called to hospitality. I want to spend the last few moments thinking with you about how we could continue to grow in hospitality here in Hamilton Road. The good news is that we're doing really well just at the moment in this area. We are growing. Have you tried to get a cup of tea or coffee after the morning service? Good luck to you trying to get in there. So many people willing to spend half an hour, spend a bit of time to connect together and be together. The place is, is bound to use a good Ulster phrase. It's brilliant. Do stay today if you can. I uh, didn't mean to put you off. Another area where we're growing in our hospitalities and our discipleship groups, many of these groups, as you know, meet in homes. So members of our church family are opening their homes for others to come and gather there. Beautiful expression of the family of God, and it's beautiful to see it. I do have one concern about our discipleship groups, our network, and I'll take this opportunity to raise it. So many of you still aren't in a group. Why is that? Perhaps you still think of church as an event to attend. It's not. Perhaps you think of Hamilton Road Presbyterian Church as an institution that you're a, a funder of and a supporter of. It's not. Church is always the family of God. Isn't it time you got a little bit closer to some of your brothers and sisters? If you're not yet a member of that network of groups, we'll be drawing new people in come September time. It's, it's just May now, so you have a bit of time to think about this. We've already put a sign-up 
um, on our church calendar. If you if you know today that you'd like to be part of a part of a discipleship group, go ahead and sign up. 27th of September, you'll see an event there. You can sign up to it and and be part of our network of discipleship groups. So you can stay for coffee. You can join a discipleship group. This morning, we'd like to launch a new initiative to grow our hospitality further. We've called it Open Table. We're going to give all members of the church family, young and old, single and not, the opportunity to to gather in each other's homes for, for meals around tables. Here's the plan. I think we might have a slide for Open Table, do we? There it is. So here's the plan. If you're willing to learn a little bit more about sharing Sunday lunch with others from the church family, we'd like you to let us know. You might be able to host. You might be able to be a guest. You might be willing and able for both. Sign up and let us know. We'll gather the names of those who are interested, and once we have a a critical mass, we'll start to make some connections and just invite people to, to be around dinner tables together. Here's the dream. After we worship together as a family, we eat together as a family. Nobody has Sunday lunch on their own, unless they want to. Here's the dream. We worship together as a family, and we say to any guests or visitors who have joined us, You've worshipped with us. Can can you come and eat with us? You'd be very welcome. We have a place for you at our table. Wouldn't it be great to have three or four or a dozen open tables offering space and hospitality every Sunday? What do you think? Can we try this? Sign up if you'd like to learn more about Open Table. You'll find a sign-up page on the website, so... I tried this for the first time today. It does work. So, so maybe by now you know our, our basic um, address. It's hrpc.org.uk. If you put a forward slash open table, you'll find a sign-up page. We're just going to gather, uh, see what the interest is, and we'll, we'll keep talking to you about this over the next few weeks. Coffee time, discipleship groups, open table. It's starting to sound like a family. One last comment about hospitality and open tables. I think we could be brilliant at this, at Hamilton Road. This could be one of our absolute strengths. Why do I say that? Well, for a start, there are lots of us, lots of tables, all right? But there's more to it than that. Many of us have reached a stage that our culture calls the empty nest, our kids have grown up and left home. They, they still visit with us occasionally, but, but most days they're, they're not home. There's, there's room at the table where they used to be. Do you see the possibilities? Do you see what this could mean for us as a church family? We're the family of God. Look around you. These are your brothers and your sisters, your mothers and your fathers, your grandparents and your grandchildren there are no empty nesters in the family of God there aren't you are not an empty nester 
You're somebody who has place at your table. Let's learn to open our homes and our tables and share our lives together. As I've thought about God's vision for family life in these last months preparing for this teaching, I've come to a simple but profound conclusion. It's bigger, far bigger than I had ever imagined. Let me share a paragraph from Rodney Clapp's book, Family at the Crossroads. It inspired me and it might inspire you too. The long and the short of it is that we simply need a world bigger, richer, tougher than that which can be created by a little family fixated on itself and its emotional coddling. We need a cause large and exciting enough that many people, not just a spouse and two or three children, can devote their lives to it. It is the commitment of other people to the same cause that convinces us that the work to which we have given our life is truly worth our life. The various ministries and the joys of many families that show us how rich and varied are the goods and gifts of the kingdom. One family sponsors a refugee, another adopts multiracial children, a third volunteers at storehouse. Such an array of hospitality proves that the kingdom is expansive and bountiful indeed and that one or even a hundred families cannot exhaust its potential. It deserves my life. It deserves the life of my family. Isn't that quite something? Has your family found its calling yet? With that inspiring call to dive into the life of the kingdom and to to bring our families into the family of God, I want to finish with a warning. I think we're in danger of missing this. I think we're in danger of missing the fullness of what God wants for us to experience as a family of his people here at Hamilton Road. Let, Let me explain where I see the danger. We suffer a syndrome here in Hamilton Road. It wasn't until I typed that that I realized that it's maybe a, a play on words. Here in our church family, we have a sinful tendency, one that's prevalent wherever human beings gather. It's the tendency to think of people in terms of them and us. In the couple of years that I've been here, I've experienced it on many occasions. People talking about other members of the church family as them or they. Maybe they were talking about the Kirk session or the committee or the staff team or the minister. Maybe they were talking about another organization, another part of our church's life. Maybe they were talking about older members. Sure, they're all like this. Or younger members, sure, they're all like that. Or men or women, them and us. I don't want you to think I'm pointing the finger this morning. The sad truth is that I find myself doing this. And I don't like it. And that's why I want to talk about it for a moment. Friends, if we're going to take God at his word 
if we're serious about following Jesus Christ, then we can't anymore talk about members of our church family as they or them, as though they were somehow separate from us. When we do that, we deny the gospel. Listen to Paul, Galatians 3. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Did you hear that? We are all children of God. We are all one. We are family. In Ephesians 4, Paul urges us to guard our unity. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We have one Father, all of us. We are one We are family. Brothers and sisters, if we are family, we can't anymore talk about them and us. I wonder if today's the day when you will resolve to drop that language along with me. There's no them and us. There's only us. This came home to me recently through a a beautiful piece of art, a performance of the U2 song, Invisible. I'm going to stick my neck out for a moment now and ask you to watch it. In the song, Bono touches on an important theme, how his father didn't truly see him as he grew up. And he responds with this chorus, I'm more than you know, I'm more than you see, I'm more than you let me be. I'm more than you know, a body and a soul. You don't see me, but you will. I am not invisible. The first three minutes of the song explore that theme, our tendency not to see each other properly, to dehumanize each other. It's great, enjoy it, but it's not the main thing. What I'm thinking of kicks in at round about the three minute mark, and it's beautiful. Bono addresses his audience. He says, let's try something. He says, we're going to sing. There is no them. There's only us. You can be part of this. Just now we're going to watch this video together. If you love this, that's great. If you don't, indulge me and forgive me. Let's go.
singing that song here with you someday where it's a true expression of all of our hearts. Maybe we're nearly there. There is no them. There's only us. That's the song we need to be singing here at Hamilton Road if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's the song that the gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to sing. If we don't sing it, we deny the gospel. This is the family that God calls us to be.